Hello there and welcome back to the Chat Shit Get Fit, the fitness news where we unpack the week's biggest news in health and fitness. I'm Bill and as always I'm joined by Tom. Hello there. This week we are going to take a closer look at healthy obesity. It's going to lead us on to a topic we spoke about way back in episode three of the podcast, so it was like two years ago, and that episode was titled Fat But Fit or Slim and Sedentary. Mm. And that's basically the bulk of the episode because it is quite a lot to get into, but we have got a little update though. Before we get into that, we have got another update. And it's on Skinny Jab. Hashtag Big Farmer. I mean, what can we say, really? It's all getting a bit Game of Thrones, isn't it? Hello. What can we say? All we can say, Tom, is let's get into this week's The Fitness News. Guys, we are back. We had a week, week off last week. Um, you know, things happen. Uh, but we're back. Hopefully, you're. I did. I did release a little video. I know. I've made it sound very dramatic. A lot of people in tears because <laughs> we weren't there. Uh, I'm sure it wasn't that bad. But yeah, we're back now with a with a big episode about big farmer and some other stuff as well. <laughs> Getting that clickbait in. Absolutely. Before we get into that, though, Tom, um, do you notice anything different? You've got your big thick bottle. And also, I've noticed that you have not turned off your switch in the background, which we've discussed previously. Oh, no, there oh, we well. go. That's better. That was a nice, satisfying click then as well, you know, for the audience. I was more alluding to, I was alluding to, can you not see this bottle? Look. I do. Your, your Huel sponsorship. No, no, that's the problem. That's what I wanted to fucking talk about, my Huel fucking sponsorship. So this bottle, for people who can't see, I'll show this without the camera, but this is an all-black Huel water bottle. And the reason I got this is because, it actually got a thousand on it, it's because I've actually got a thousand mils through Huel. Through Huel? Yeah, Huel got... Through Huel? I've had a thousand meals of Huel, so they sent me a special bottle to commemorate <laughs> my obsession with Huel, basically. <laughs> basically, they wanted to show me, look, you're obsessed. <laughs> and you're still not getting that uh, sponsorship. Yeah, I'm sorry. No, when I shared my story, mate, guess what they fucking sent me? Look, this is what I showed what they sent me. A thumbs instead up emoji. Of, <laughs> no, okay, they, they're a bit more enthusiastic, but instead of going, oh, wow, maybe we should give you a sponsorship, they sent me a well done with loads of exclamation marks, a prayer hand, muscle hand, celebration emoji, clap emoji, love face emoji, and a black heart. That is a lot more than a thumbs up emoji. Yeah, it's pretty so, good. So you know, fair play. Where's my fucking Where's my fucking sponsorship, Tom? At this point, you, you you're better off just trying to get the skinny jab fucking uh, sponsorship. <laughs> a better chance than we go, V. <laughs> yeah, fucking too right. But yeah, that was um. So yeah, guys, I've got a mass obsession with Huel. Um, so what I'll do actually, listen to this, Tom. I'm just gonna do a little plug now because if you refer people, you get ten pound off your next order. You, you okay. also get £10 off. So what I'll do, guys, is to help fuel my fuel obsession, because it's quite expensive sometimes. You buy as much as I do, clearly, with a 1,000 mils under the belt. I'm going to put a code, a code or a link, I should say, in the description of this podcast. Click it. You'll get £10 off. And then I also get £10 off. So Does it work if, like, I've already bought it or I buy it from the shop and then I send them a, a DM on Instagram and say, oh, Bill told me to buy this? I won't even mention. I won't even mention like your your account name or anything like that. I'll just say. I'll just say Bill. This and is a great idea. You know what? About. I think we've just found a solution to my Huel sponsorship. Sorry, guys, you came here for the fitness news. We're a bit of a tangent here, but if you want to get me sponsored by Huel, just bombard them with DMs saying Bill, maybe buy it and tag my Instagram account. And we'll Talk about tangents. Do you know it does make me laugh Go when on. people buy like a massive package from something like oh my protein. Yeah. Or some other kind of fitness-related or nutrition-related brand, and I mean, they'll buy like a massive, massive box of stuff that they've paid for. Maybe they've used a discount code, maybe, but either way, they've paid for it, and they'll put like a story with a picture of their stuff saying, "Oh, thank you so much for hooking me up with this stuff." So they ain't hooked you up with it. You fucking purchased I get that. it. Yeah, that's why when I put it on my story, I was very, I was very clear that they sent it because I bought so much heel, not because, not because I'm fucking like a top influencer. They sent Thank me the you bottle. so much for providing me a service. Yeah, fucking hell. Oh, you know, I also got as well. I forgot to mention they gave me, a, they gave me a, a all black T-shirt as well. Even like the logo's blacked out. All I'm going to say is I've never ever tagged the BP garage and said thanks for the diesel. <laughs> thanks for the diesel. Yeah, maybe yeah, I, I should. Have the same effects, mate. Maybe, should, maybe yeah, I could maybe get a hookup there. from there, a sponsorship there. Petrol, I'd petrol be the first PT with a BP Garage sponsorship. Yeah. Fucking need it in this climate. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> should we move on? We'll move on to... Um, like the anti-Greta Thunberg of, uh, of the gym. <laughs> yeah, sorry, guys. We had a week off, so we've got all this. We just want to unload all of this random tangent shit that we know you love so much. And if BP Garage is listening, which they may be, you know, uh, hit, hit your boy up. I don't care if you spill things in the ocean, you know. 
I, I, I will happily sell out for that thick, thick petrol. Diesel, the sorry, not petrol. And the sandwiches. Don't forget the sandwiches they do. Oh, yeah, and the Ginksters. I'll tell you what, sod BP garage if Ginksters are listening. <laughs> a little steak bake. <laughs> God's sake. Um, yeah, I mean, in our defence, guys, it is called Chat Shit Get Fit, so I feel like we're just you know, making up for half the name of the podcast. But, yes, let's move on to this week's fitness news, which is what you're here for. So, as I said, we've got another update, and we've essentially turned this into a trilogy, I think. Um, talking about a skinny jab again. Um, specifically, though, the product WeGovy. So this is the one that was approved for the NHS, we mentioned a couple of weeks ago. And essentially, this time, it's going to all revolve around, which I think is the flavour of the time, you could say, and that is Big Pharma. Oh, yeah, that was very ominous. Yeah, that was very Big Pharma. That is literally, that is literally the sound cue I hear in my head every time I go for my uh, vaccinations. Yeah, whenever I, whenever I pop a paracetamol, that's all I hear. Yeah. <laughs> every time. <laughs> <laughs> I just pound them with dramatic yeah. music. I mean, depending on <laughs> how many you take, yeah. Yeah, God, yeah, yeah fucking hell too, right, yeah. Um, right, God, I'll read you out the, the uh, article title to give you an idea of what it's all about. So, maker of Miracle Weight Loss Jab, WeGovy, gets kicked out of trade body after bribing pharmacists with sponsored weight loss courses promoting its own medicines. Um, so apparently, actually, this actually started, Tom, with a health professional seeing an advert on LinkedIn. Um, and okay. I'll describe what the advert had. So it was basically an image of an overweight woman who was on her phone holding a drink. Um, she sat on a bench and there was like text along the advert and it said, with hashtag obesity affecting around one in four hashtag adults in the hashtag UK, is your hashtag pharmacy offering a hashtag weight management service? We have funding to get you started if not. Join us Sunday morning for a free hashtag webinar to start your journey. So that doesn't actually say anything about skinny jab. To this point, you might be thinking, well, where's the bribing coming in? Where's this, why are they being kicked out? Well, basically what actually happens is when you do the training webinar, the material from it so you'll finish the seminar whatever you'll then click a link and the link basically presents something called sedexa uh, sax ender sax ender oh, thank god and i thought you were going to say sedexo jesus <laughs> skip to beat <laughs> if it was sedexo fucking yeah too right we'll, we'll, we'll be, be big, fun, big government fucking all right <laughs> but um so sax ender and they basically present that as the more favorable weight loss option compared to other med uh, medications and this Saxenda is a liraglutide-based product. Um, okay. Quick recap on that. That is the daily... So WeGovy, the one we spoke about recently, is semaglutide. Okay, that's a weekly injection. Liraglutide-based products is a daily injection. It's normally more expensive, obviously, because you've got to take it every single day. Hmm. Um, but this Saxenda is made by Novo Nordisk. And guess, who, guess what Novo Nordisk make, Tom? Tell me, Bill. They make WeGovy. Oh, oh, oh you Game see what I mean? moment. Yep. So yeah, so they make that as well, and they were obviously pushing that. They were obviously in this little illusion of a weight loss seminar. Boom! They prevent their product. They're lobbying. Um, They're lobbying. That's another buzzword. No, Novo Nordisk has responded. Tom, a spokesperson said, "While we are disappointed with this outcome, we accept the decision." Which sounds very guilty. <laughs> it sounds very much like, "Yeah, we, we yeah. know what we did. <laughs> we know what we fucking done." So it's, they basically got upset because during this webinar, they kind of showed a very specific product. Yeah, well, they said it was the best one, didn't they? Well, it was the best product. one. Yeah, kind of like product. the opposite of what happens in like your soap operas and your dramas you watch, like how EastEnders like they can't show like a box of cornflakes. It can't. Oh, oh no, your whole your sponsorship. Your your bowl's fucking shit. It's fucking little gambling. <laughs> <laughs> we'll cut wank. that bit out where you say it's shit. Fucking hell, yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah, it just leaks all over you. Fuck's sake. But yeah, it kind of reminds me of those soap operas where yeah, they can't show you certain brands, you know. I don't know where I was going with that. But yeah, yeah. Is that what you were going to say? <laughs> I was expecting a bit more there. Yeah, no. I, did, I got right. distracted by you drenching yourself. Yeah, drenching myself. I've had a fucking shower on the podcast. Brilliant. <laughs> um, right, anyway, so... There wasn't even any Huel in it. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so on the back of this article then, there was there were others, okay? Um, there was another one that was titled, oh, brilliant, patient influencers are being paid by Big Pharma to mislead TikTok and Instagram followers about drugs like <clears throat> WeGovy, experts warn. Now... Before we talk about this, I just want to talk talk about media in general because it's very clear. Uh, what, what I should start by saying really is, I understand the whole thing about big pharma, why people would believe it, and that is because you have to be. I'd say you have to be mindful of where you consume your information, because if you think about every newspaper or news agency, even social media, I'd class as a news agency these days. Think about all the different ones. Okay, if you were to get the same situation the same news story 
and you were to read it across five different news providers, the way they would talk about that event would be very different and the way they headline it would be very different. And that is because they all have their own target audience and their target audience, obviously they want them to read whatever they're putting out. So they appeal to that audience. And the way they do that is by using emotionally driven language that they know that audience resonates with. Um, so for example, this article, the first one, when it talks about kicking out the trade bodies from the Daily Mail. And if you know the Daily Mail, they're very susceptible to this sort of big pharma rhetoric. Okay. Mm. I'm not saying it doesn't... It appeals I, to the right. Yeah, appeals to the right. Okay. Yeah. Let's just put it like that. Now, I'm not saying it's all bollocks because I, I am not well-educated enough in the pharmaceutical industry to know that it's all fucking a big corrupt, blah, 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 whatever. But the language used by the Daily Mail and the fact they've actually pinned other articles straight after this one saying, I know, eight influence being paid by Big Pharma. They've actually used the terminology Big Pharma means that readers of this newspaper are basically being fed the rhetoric of, oh, Big Pharma, Big Pharma, Mm. Big Pharma, Big Pharma. And if that's your source of news and you trust it. It's hardly a neutral approach. Yeah, it's hardly a neutral. So you're trusted, you're... Your news, you know, consumption is basically all big pharma. So I don't, so I'm not surprised that that's what you believe. Whereas if you looked at another paper, which was very pro pharmaceutical, you might get the complete other end of the stick. Hmm. So it becomes very difficult to basically navigate it. Um, I mean, Tom, I know you, you're quite vocal. I could say sometimes with the whole big pharma statement. I mean, what are your thoughts of it in general? I'm, I'm not going to lie. And say that, you know, like uh, pharmaceutical companies in general are, you know, innocent. Like anything where it comes to like a brand or, you know, a in a capitalist society, like it's going to be a cutthroat business, mm-hmm. you know. But just yeah. to straight away, a throwaway term such as big pharma, yeah. you know, it's just such an easy go-to term to just try and explain something that you don't really know the answer to. Well, how comes, you know, this drug has been offered by the NHS? Well, big pharma. How comes paracetamols could be 49p in B&M? Well, that's big pharma. They want you hooked on paracetamols. They want to keep you sick. Why Why is the gov- Why is the government trying to offer free healthcare? Well, it's big pharma. It's big pharma. Do you see what I mean? Mm. It's like, think- what, can you, what can you say about it? It's just a throwaway term. Don't get me wrong. Like When we go back to the original story we were talking about, like with WeGo, we like... That's obviously... <laughs> can pharmaceutical companies be dodgy? Uh Yes, they fucking can. And in some instances, mm. the government in line with pharmaceutical companies can be dodgy. We go back to the, you go back in history, you look at things like the Tuskegee experiments, etc., where they was purposely infecting people with syphilis. You know, it's it's not as innocent innocent as it seems. However, like what the fuck was I saying? I was I've gone on a tangent. Now. I was supposed to. Say, I had something in mind, but I've completely gone with it now. But basically, like oh, that was it. So. Pharmaceutical companies, I suppose, can be shitty, but just because a business practice is shitty doesn't necessarily mean that the product itself is inherently going to be shitty or problematic or inherently bad. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So, like, in this instance, we talk about, like, a semaglutide, liver glutide. They have their purposes. Mm. You know, there's nothing inherently well, we, we showed morally, the evidence to show that it works yeah, like it does do what it's meant to there's do there's no moral <laughs> compass when it comes to this yeah, yeah. Mm. but that's not to say that some of the companies that may be pushing it may be doing it through more nefarious means mm-hmm. and unethical yeah. means you see what i mean you've got to kind of like separate the the product from the company from the company yeah i, I think a lot of this is stemmed from as I said, flavor of the times earlier that we've obviously just come out of COVID, not this quite recent pandemic. And oh, that yeah. that has led to so much anti pharmaceutical because obviously yeah. the vaccine thing, the, the, the vaccine conversation is it was very div- uh, divisive. It caused a lot of basically theories were flying around, social media was getting involved, saying they're censoring stuff. And well, I'm not going to say here and give my point on it because I don't know enough about it. I don't really, I wasn't that opinionated on it but all i know was it caused a lot of division between people some were saying that the vaccines were fucking a big conspiracy by the government some were saying oh no we must take it but it was it basically caused huge division yeah. i mean you had some people that were going as far as saying you know there was microchips etc oh god yeah you know, you know. Uh, deliveroo and just eat wanted to track your orders better which is why they was injecting everyone i made that up by the way that's quite a good one i think <laughs> yeah it's good idea um i think healthy skepticism is fine mm-hmm. i think you know like people on the other side of the fence that are they like pro vaccine or pro big pharma etc can sometimes shoot themselves in the foot by being overly aggressive and trying to combat misinformation etc yeah 
Yeah, I think they can shoot yourselves in the foot because what you're going to do when you try and make someone out to be stupid, you know, yeah, exactly. it's like everyone, look, between you and me, Bill, and our listeners, I suppose, you are going to get people who will just gobble up any kind of conspiracy baseball shit. Yeah, of you course know. you will. Yeah. What are you going to do about it? But that's where, really... we, that's where we go back to our conversation on the conspiracies a few weeks ago when we talked about the, the still man approach. Yeah. If someone's coming out of this absolute you know, conspiracy rhetoric, take a step, instead of this, what Tom said, being the, the overly over-the-top aggressive part where you're like defending it, you know, think about why they're thinking that. Instead of actually dictating to someone why they're wrong and why they're stupid and why they're an idiot, etc., etc. Find out why they're saying just actually saying. have a discussion. With yeah, have a discussion, yeah. And God forbid, you, you might actually, you might, the opposite might happen. You might actually find out that the whole, you know, just eat and delivery thing's actually true. You never know. <laughs> exactly. And if someone... <laughs> And if someone comes up to you and says, oh, big pharma, just ask them, why do they think of that? If they turn around and say, well, I read it in the Daily Mail, there's your answer. Mm. Yeah, it's very simple. It's very simple, you know. I it? mean, if you suddenly find me in a, you know, duffel bag in a hotel room somewhere, you, you know I'm onto something. <laughs> um, right. <laughs> um, if I quickly go back, rewind back to the uh, the second article, well, there's, there was actually more than one, but we'll talk about, we'll talk about others. Basically, as I said, the Daily Mail realised that they were getting a lot of response off of this conspiracy-esque big pharma theories with their wee gabby stuff, so they've tagged onto it. And they did another one called patient influencers, and that was a term they quoted, being paid by big pharma to mislead TikTok and Instagram followers about drugs like wee gabby experts warn. So <clears throat> essentially what they did was is they got these paid like, sponsorship. They, yeah, well, they were... When they say patient influencers, basically people who have been on them, then they've got them to then talk about how their experience was. And what they found was there were a lot of micro-influencers. So when I say micro-influencer, you're not talking about your, your, your Logan Pauls, your KSIs, you know, millions of followers. We're talking about five, five to 10,000 maybe followers. That sort of level of influence. Your celebrity you Love Island people and your SAS, your SAS Who Dares Wins, you know, SAS Who Dares Wins, fucking Cancun, I don't know. <laughs> can't go wherever they're going basically. next basically um and obviously the problem is obviously because when it's a paid advert i mean i don't what are your thoughts on it because i find when you look at adverts on social media the problem i have of it is it's very um i mean when it genu- comes to it's not genuine paid sponsorships it? i ain't you know got i ain't got a major issue with it it does depend on the product though to be honest with you so when it comes to medication yeah it's a bit different <laughs> yeah it's a bit different i'm not very comfortable with that you know, and the thing is, I do believe that if you are sponsoring something in particular, you should also have some form of basic knowledge on it. Mm. And when it comes to a medication, if you've only got your Insta fame through Who Dares Wins Cancun, you know, and your civilian job isn't a fucking doctor or a researcher or a scientist, it's probably not something you should be promoting actively. Not saying that it's a bad medication, you know, the medication's bad. But yeah, mm. to do a paid partnership with it, I don't feel comfortable with it. I think the problem is, is because it's a medical, like if we look at WeGovy, for example, the semaglutide, it's meant to be prescribed by a doctor in a in a certain scenario. It's not meant to be just given out willy-nilly. And obviously these these companies are trying to push it as more of a everyday weight loss drug. Yeah, like how are they actually promoting it and what kind of crowd are they promoting it to? Is it actually, are they promoting it as a health promoting medication or is this just like, you know, lip fillers to them? Yeah. Well, I think it is, though, because if you look at like TikTok, for example, the demographic of TikTok is very young and susceptible to influencers, you could say. It's kind of weird to glamorize a medication. Yeah, but you can imagine what they're doing. They're kind of making it look. So, what I'm, what I'm going to do, let me quickly just pull this up quick. Oh, God, I've gone straight to the comments. <laughs> oh, God. It's always dangerous going to the comments of the fucking Daily Mail. Jesus. Let me quickly read one out. The top comment is believe nothing you hear and only half of what you see. Oh, God, very philosophical. Jesus. Okay, what if I do the order back to front? <laughs> right, oh, the, set, the next one. Um, uh, actually, okay, so this one is prescription medication shouldn't be allowed to advertise or market to anyone, but the licensed healthcare providers authorised to diagnose and treat the patient. I can see what they mean there, I suppose. Like, at the end of the day, you shouldn't... You know what, I actually understand what they're trying to say because you shouldn't go to your doctor and be like, oh, I want wee govy, I want wee govy. The doctor should know after hearing a conversation with you, the right things to give you. So you don't even know it exists. But they'll know that they need to give it to you. I've gone to the fucking doctors with like raging tonsillitis and I've, you know, and I've, I've demanded my antibiotics and like, they've just I mean. said no. Yeah, <laughs> it's almost like saying. simply because I've demanded them, they've gone, oh, fuck you, no. That's what I mean. Like you, could, you It's very rare that people will go in and like, 
unless obviously they know what they but you, you shouldn't you yeah. shouldn't have to go in and demand stuff like the doctor should know what to give you so there's no reason for com- for medication that's on prescription to be marketed you shouldn't have to you shouldn't have to advertise a prescription drug a prescription drug will be prescribed to you if you need it if the doctor thinks it's you'll needed it you may even be one of the contraindications as to why you shouldn't be taken in the first place exactly yeah so I'm, actually that comment to be fair that's actually not a bad um bad comment well, someone asked him actually was this, was this true? i don't know how true this is because you can't believe anything these fuckers say but only country in the world that allows pharmaceutical companies to advertise their drugs i wonder why this is no i really don't wonder they are evil there we go back and form daily mail back here with the big pharma <laughs> there you go <laughs> they Go are straight evil. into it oh hang on next one tom next one Big Pharma are as bad as the Mexican cartels, just out to gouge the vulnerable. <laughs> oh, God. I mean, I've seen some pretty horrendous videos of I'm the Mexican finished, cartels. So. Unbelievable. Oh, do y'all see what's going on? This is someone from Tallahassee. <laughs> Big Pharma can effectively get you banned from all um, social media for telling the truth about their death injections, but pay the losers to lie. Fucking hell. So as we said, the best approach is to try and have discussions some people will not be up for a discussion. <laughs> oh Sometimes God. it's better just give a thumbs up and walk away. Hang on, I've got a better one here, Tom. This person's got a... This one is called... Guess what they... Oh, brilliant. So this is their the name of their user. The username, Big sorry. Big 420. <laughs> Human hypocrisy destroys much. United States, right. Largest global cartel with the worst stranglehold on humanity. The pharmaceutical industries with more than willing suppliers. Pharmacies in brackets. Dealers. Oh, they've called doctors dealers. <laughs> and foot soldiers are the consumers. <laughs> Any, anyone know they have over 75% of the advertising market in the USA and can only advertise in two countries, USA and New Zealand, with the loosest regulations pr- proving in the USA to no surprise. No one can ever tell me... Uh, no one can ever again tell me how wonderful less and less regulated industries and capitalism is a wonderful thing. The increased shredding of the country to society, to family, to individuals, at most every single turn, this is really hard to read, regarding everything more than profitable at the hands of red to blue. All industries, oh, I'm bored of reading this now. Basically, this person is fucking furious <laughs> with the pharmaceutical industry. I mean... I wouldn't really compare them to the Mexican Mexican cartels. Um, not until I see the, you know, not until I see the leaders of Neurofen on Toyota trucks with 50 caliber machine guns on the back of them, at least. Decapitate people. Yeah, exactly. I, I wouldn't quite, you know, make that comparison. But you can see how, like, when it comes to that buzzword, big pharma, like, there's a lot of emotion involved in it. Right. Okay, actually, I've got some more information here on this. If I go back to the TikTok and Instagram thing. Um, Is it so, about Eurofin? No, no, obviously, back to, to WeGovy. So apparently 12% of them read medical studies and shared the results simply with their online audience. So they, essentially, they've, they've basically found a paper which said that the drug works and just shared it with their audience, yeah. um, which is the like... Instructions. Pretty easy to do, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, and as we know, it's very difficult to actually interpret research. Mm, it's quite it's quite interesting like the way that some of them so apparently um nova nordisk the manufacturers of the wegovy they told daily mail we do not currently work with any influencers to share their experience taking wegovy or Ozempic, which is the other one they have through their personal social media channels any social media content sponsored by nova nordisk is identified and labeled as such However, obviously, we know that um, they've used WeGovy because WeGovy is a popular one. It's the one that's the flavor of the month. But yeah. we know that you can get semaglutide and liraglutide weight loss products off label. Like I showed you, I got a prescription, didn't I? A couple of yeah. weeks ago for one of them. So there's no reason why it's not them who are then, they're, they're well, using you, them. Just to confirm, you didn't actually buy the prescription. You no, just no, no, I didn't, the, yeah. Yeah, the <laughs> yeah, I didn't buy it. Yeah, yeah. I've not actually got a pack of, uh, a pack of injections on my desk. Yeah. Um, I just got a prescription, right? No, <laughs> I was really in that heel bottle. Yeah, fucking hell. But um, yeah, so it could be someone like along those lines with the off-label stuff who are paying these influencers to do it. Yeah. Right? It doesn't have to be Nova Nordis. We're not saying it's all the firms, right? Um, but yeah, that... <laughs> Obviously, those comments gave you a sort of indication of the audience. And the Daily Mail knows this. And you know your audience, so you put more yeah. out to get them... You get them riled up. You want to get them it's riled up. It's fishing for outrage. Yeah, of course it is, yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, as we said earlier, there is, I think there is like an honest discussion to have in regards to, you know, is it something that should be kind of glamorized on social media as an aesthetic product, you know? Also, should there be, should it really be incentivized where like certain companies were specifically saying, oh, buy only this brand 
and this mm. brand only. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, hopefully this is the end of the trilogy, guys. Honest to God, I think the the best course of action is to just simply, I don't even say fucking shooting ourselves in the foot here, but switch off when it comes to things like social media, etc. on this topic and just simply mm. go to your doctor. Go to your doctor, yeah. You know, as I said, shooting ourselves in the foot there, but worth it. Guys, before we move on to the, which was supposed to be the main part of the show, but we've probably, it's probably going to be a half and half at this point because we've absolutely got balls deep into that fucking big farmer uh, <laughs> intro. Uh, before we get into the next bit, though, we are going to have to, of course, give a big shout out to our Patreons over in the society. Of course, we have our producers, Colleen and Jenny. We hope you're doing well. Colleen, as always, we hope you're not in Newcastle still. Um, I've not heard from you for a long time, so I'm getting quite concerned. If you could drop us a message... It'd be very much appreciated. Your wee govy and Huel jugs are on the way. <laughs> Brilliant. And uh, Jenny, hope you're doing well. Appreciate the animal videos that I get sent daily. That, whoa, context fucking required there. Context? What do you mean context? When, when, when someone says, oh yeah, someone sends me animal videos. Yeah, like you've not seen them, like the animal, like talking animals and stuff. Like I, I play one. Oh, talking, oh, okay. Yeah, like funny ones. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's brilliant. Hang on. Funny ones, not erotic ones. No, no, no. Uh, yeah. Let me find an absolute banger. I normally get quite a few good ones. I am more than capable of walking on my own two flippy floppies. I too can walk on my own accord, thank you. Ma'am, please get your hands off me. That is my wife behind you. <laughs> oh, you think a school okay, that's fine. that's fine. That's fine. This I'll is the penguins. I thought it was going to be a video of someone sticking their dick in a fish or something. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> someone put it. What? Well, wait, wait, it just sounds very suspicious when I hear, you know, oh, yeah, thanks for those animal videos you sent yeah, me. Fuck's it. No, yeah, she's doing the producer's job, mate. She's keeping me motivated and enthused. Oh, I, 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 I want nothing more to do with this conversation. <laughs> you, you do mis- what you do stop in your own fucking, time. Uh, stop misunderstanding this conversation. This is very inappropriate. Very inappropriate. <laughs> All right. Are you a Simply... bovine person or a bovine person? person? <laughs> yeah. Well, the human equivalent is like, you know, oh, like, you know, breast or legs. There's me. I, I, I don't know horse. what it's like for you guys. <laughs> you guys, what I say. It is funny because um, she's a vegan as well, so. Oh, that still doesn't justify whatever videos you're watching behind <laughs> hey, the scenes. I've just, you, I've just showed you the video. The listeners are going to be like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah, Basically, I'm just trying to thank that's the That's the safer for work one. I'm trying to I'm trying to thank the patrons for their support. You know, keeping us keeping us motivated with talking penguins and just talking penguins. Nothing. Just, moving on to the next. Um, no, I'm molesting a statue. budgie or something. <laughs> and thank you to the rest of the patrons who. Um, there's nothing nothing to say. I don't really want to say anything else. I feel like I'm going to say something wrong. <laughs> Molest a budgie. Molest a budgie. Well, yeah, rest of you patrons. Thank you very much. You're, you're obviously the. Uh, as we call you, the foot soldier of the society. So appreciate your support. Basically, pay for the podcast. Fantastic. Um, <clears throat> we um, we have been releasing quite a bit of content on there of late. Behind the scenes always goes on there. Any little random videos we do go on there. You get the podcast early as well. I say early. It depends how... I mean, sometimes it's... Literally, sometimes you get it on the Friday. Sometimes it'll be on the Saturday. I mean, early subjective, isn't it? It is subjective. Basically, you'll get it before Monday, which is when it normally comes out. So you get to listen to it before everyone else. To start the week. It's a nice, it's a nice fuzzy feeling, isn't it? Okay. Um, if you do want to join that Patreon, and uh, you too can send me <laughs> animal Money. videos. <laughs> <laughs> I prefer animal videos, thanks. Um, <laughs> um, you, <laughs> your face, Tom. People obviously couldn't see that. Um, but yeah, if you if you too want to get stuck in on the action, <laughs> then check out the show notes below, and there'll be links to Patreon, or you can go to patreon.com slash cs gf podcast where you can sign up to one of two tiers one of them is the entry tier the second one is a bit more personal you get to be a producer as well and you get a video from me and tom that does not involve animals no it does not involve animals yeah. there's no no budgies just to clarify yeah just to clarify well, well, don't get not my sorry. video at least whether bill sends you is his business <laughs> it's not right. associated with the podcast <laughs> right yeah some of the stuff i put out fucking hell okay just crown prosecution service <laughs> right Moving on. And probably to the, Moving on to the uh, next part of the show. We are talking about... God, it's oh, fucking it's a real taking a turn here, isn't it? We've gone from this to healthy obesity. So, obviously a bit more serious. Serious face back on. <clears throat> right, back in the this game. the conversation that we've had 
in the past, isn't it? We have, yes, we of. have indeed. We have indeed. We've had this conversation. Episode three of the podcast, Tom, which was yes. in 2020, I believe. Oh, I was which in my 20s back then, yeah. Jesus, it was a long time ago, yeah. And that was that was a long time ago. We have spoke about it, sort of, in a way. This is obviously a little bit different. This is slightly different, to be fair. Um, so I want to quickly make a note before we move on. Obese and morbidly obese are different, Okay. Mm. So when we use the term obese, don't think of some because you might sometimes people automatically when they think of obese, they think of the image of a morbidly obese person, which is someone who is obviously yeah. very clearly, you know, severely got excess weight on. That's when, you know, that's affecting their inability to move, for example. Okay, that would be yeah. morbidly obese. That's a bit more I'll say a bit more, that's very serious. So it's very at, detrimental to their quality of life straight away. And you can usually tell through physical, just looking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whereas obese is obviously not as um, severe. So basically what we've got here, guys, is a new study. And this study has posed the question, has the prevalence of metabolically healthy obesity, MHO, changed among US adults in the past 20 years? So I'll give you some context on what um, metabolically healthy obesity is. It's defined as having a body mass index score, BMI, over 30, but having no other metabolic disorders such as higher blood pressure, elevated blood sugar, or increased triglycerides. Um, and triglycerides is basically a type of fat, if you're unaware. Um, if you have high amounts of that type of fat, you incre- it can increase your risk of things like heart <coughs> disease, stroke, etc. Okay. Do you know what? Just to, be, to add a bit of nuance to that, and to be a bit controversial as well, when we talk about a definition of a metabolico- metabolically healthy <coughs> obesity... Tongue twister. I know. And I'm sure I've said that back to front as well. <laughs> um, it can be a bit of a hazy term, because mm-hmm. um, there's still no, depending on who you ask, there's no actual clear definition of it. And I think this is something we spoke about the first time around as well. And that is like, so we just mentioned some of the symptoms, right? Or the signs even as to what clarifies as, well, this means you're metabolic healthy, ugh, you know, metabolic, metabolically healthy obesity. I think you know you need, that, right? you need some pure, mate. You need some Jesus pure. Jesus Christ. Get, get a watch around you. MHO. There you go. We're just going to abbreviate it. Um, basically, it's when your classes, I mean, when you, according to like the National Institute of Health, it's classes when you have three or more of a certain criteria, which is ones you mentioned there. So, yeah, things like blood pressure, uh, your waist circumference, your HDL, I think I said blood pressure already, didn't I? Like your blood sugars. So, it's like a whole bunch of things you need to kind of have to meet the criteria. But, yeah, depending on who you are. So, I've just read that off the National Institute of Health, right? Mm-hmm. But, depending on what other kind of uh, people you ask or what other kind of um, institutes, et cetera, they'll have different kind of definitions. So already it's a bit hazy as well what classes as that. And even then, with MHO, you have to have a certain number, as I just said. So you have to have three or above, right? So technically you could have very low HDL, but, mm. you know, you, you but you might have like, so you might have like a low HDL, but nothing else but you're still considered, you know, healthy. Yeah. Or you might have like, um, y- 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 your blood pressure might be really high, but because you also haven't got two of the other things in that criteria, you may still be considered, you know, metabolically healthy, healthy. you know, yeah. when it comes to obesity. MHO. So, yeah, so it's really hazy. Mm. So All I've been thinking. Off. <laughs> complete, complete side chat. But All I've been thinking of is uh, phone jacker. You know, MHO, all I'm thinking of is Maho. You know, when you, oh, you know, it, yeah, we could just diver- call it Mo if you have Mo. Yeah. Are you Mo? Mo? Yeah. I think Maho sounds better. Maho. Sounds like I'm saying yeah. my ho. Either way, I'm not saying the full thing again because I just yeah. cannot deal with it. Metabolically healthy obesity. Yeah, that thing. Maybe you could just superimpose you saying it over every time I <laughs> fuck it up. <laughs> Fuck's sake, give me more work to do it. Um, right. Uh, another thing I want to add as well, Tom obviously mentioned the limitation. I think there's also a limitation to be had with the BMI system in general. Um, we're not saying it's shit because obviously the BMI system is a good guide for large populations. Obviously, if this is a large paper, but obviously there is an individual level, there can be limitations with the BMI system in terms of what it will show. Yeah. Um, like we'll obviously go into certain demographics of which could be shown as a beast, but it's normally not as much for obese, but there's a lot of people who would be classed as overweight who wouldn't be overweight, for example. Yeah. Simply because of their their size, muscle. I mean, you have got rugby players and stuff who are absolute units. Some of them will be considered overweight, obese. But it is a co- it is a common criticism with BMI is that it's things well bone, uh, you know, your, your, your bone density, yeah, yeah. your muscle mass, etc. Genetics as well. Genetics can play a role, and it's all it's all very legitimate criticism. Mm-hmm. It's all valid, but a lot of BMI 
deniers is that even a thing yeah fuck it bmi deniers <laughs> big big bmi <laughs> yeah. not, not so much deniers they're not denying that you know bmi exists because it does exist just that a lot of people assume that it's just bullshit because of all these other cofactors that can affect it and even though it is valid criticism let's be honest the vast majority of the population, bear in mind we spoke about physical activity and how many people actually are in compliance with it recently. I very much doubt that the vast majority of the population on this All planet, muscle. Muscle you know, have a high BMI due to, you know, muscle and bone density, Yeah, you know, or doing any kind of physical activity in the first place anyway. It's more of like, I some, I'm not saying people are being... I mean, I am probably saying people a bit, but people. I think it's because it's almost like it's not. It takes the ownership away from yourself. If you then, if you think, "Oh, be my bollocks," yeah. it makes you almost feel like it's not your fault that you're. It takes the label away from you. Does that make sense? I, I, I agree with some people that have said basically that it's good on a population level. Mm, that's what I think. In yeah. regards, just getting a quick estimate, a quick number. And saying, well, how comes the BMI of this population is higher than this population, etc.? But on an individual level, we are looking at, well, the individual. Yeah. The one person where you can find out, well, actually, are they training? You know, do they have genetics which are in high bone density? You know, all these other factors. Then it's, it yeah, gives you a snapshot, enough. doesn't it? It's good for a snapshot. Yeah. Uh, but obviously, you then go further into it from there. Don't take yeah, it as exactly. like if it says you're overweight. Don't be like you are definitely overweight. You need to lose weight. It's like, well, no, let's look into it. But if the whole population is showing like a high BMI, it's like okay, let's look into this a little bit deeper. And you might just find that it's an island of powerlifters. Who knows? <laughs> an island. That sounds like an amazing place. An island of powerlifters. Yeah. Oh wow. God, you would not want to invade that place. Well, to be fair, if you if you have good cardio, you will probably be all right. No, I say about catch on a rest period. To be fucking. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, that's the truth. As long as you can run more than ten meters, you'll be fine. Yeah, you, you sound yeah. yeah. <laughs> If we um, well, I'll go back to this paper then, guys. So, yeah, this was a survey study of twenty thousand four hundred and thirty adults, and it was using data from nineteen ninety nine to twenty eighteen from the National Health and Nutrition Examination Survey Cycles. Um, the age standardized prevalence of metabolically healthy obesity increased significantly from three percent in ninety nine to two thousand and two to seven percent in twenty fifteen to twenty eighteen. The proportion of metabolically healthy obesity among adults with obesity also increased significantly from 11 to 15%. What's important though, and we are going to explore this a bit more now, disparities existed in trends across socio-demographic subgroups. Mm. Okay, which is quite important. But basically they showed that there was more, there's, there's basically more people who would be classed as metabolically healthy obesity than there was before. Just to confirm as well, I know it already says it in the title of paper, but just to remind listeners that this is based in the US. Yes, US. It's important. Okay, it's not worldwide. Right. Um, right. Okay, so I'm going to read that quote now because this, this basically will lead us on to talking about all the socio-demographic subgroups they're talking about. So among racial and ethnic subgroups, we observed a significant increase in the proportion of MHO only in non-Hispanic white adults, which may be attributed in part to higher income, wider insurance coverage, more accessible health services, socio-cultural differences, and other social detriments. Previous studies have suggested that higher income groups tend to have improved diet quality, increased adherence to physical activity guidelines, and decreased smoking prevalence, which may contribute to favorable trends in the proportion of MHO. Hmm. essentially that is talking about something me and tom we used to talk about it quite a lot didn't we back in the early days of the podcast which is socioeconomic factors yeah i mean um when it comes to health like uh, there's a lot of people out there that place health health (laughs) place health solely on the responsibility of the individual right Hmm. so if you want to be healthy it is up to you and okay I, i see their point and in a way they're kind of right but that isn't to say that your health isn't affected by your surroundings and your environment. So kind of what you said there about like your socioeconomic status, right? Mm-hmm. And this is where it's a bit tricky when we talk about this paper. And obviously, they do mention it that there's some uh, dis- there's disparities. Some, there's other things that can t- we can take into account here, such as like aside from like personal responsibility of the individual, right? So changes over the years in things like healthcare, social support, environment as well. Yeah. And the thing is, is like you you look over like past couple of like the decade like the changes in the environment particularly in the US 
in regards to the government changing back and forth with different, you know, they'll have a two-party system out there, parties changing back and forth, therefore social care and healthcare is changing as well along with that. So it's going to have like some dramatic impact. And the paper clearly, I mean, the paper does show that. It, that yeah. They obviously made it clear that the, the significant increase observed with people being more metabolically healthy obesity was in only in non-hispanic white adults that makes sense when we do look at what we spoke about the whole socio socio-cultural differences and stuff uh, socio-economic differences it's a tough one to navigate and I, I, that's why i don't like it when i get what you're saying about it they're obviously responsibility on the individual but there is that saying we are a product of our environment and that rings yeah. very true unfortunately if you're in an environment where i don't know your parents only ever order takeaways you as yeah. a child are fighting a losing battle. Yeah. What do you do? Is that the child's fault? Should the child then kick up and go, nope, fuck this? Like, <laughs> I mean, we can talk about examples like all evening. Like, um, we, we've spoken several times about how, like, uh, okay, it's your sole responsibility for you to go out and get your 10,000 steps a day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You've got to exercise, you know, eat less, move more, you know, that old one. But you're a single mum. I'm going back to the classic one here. But, you know, you're a single mum. You work nine to five. By the time you finish work, it's evening. You kind of go for your walk in the evening, but you've got kids. So what are you going to do? And then like, if you do manage to find some from a childcare, you may live in like a high crime area. Obviously, I'm giving like an extreme example. I say extreme. It's not as extreme as what you may think, <laughs> yeah. you know, especially when you do particularly find situations that single mothers find themselves in, especially in regards to living standards. But I mean, it, do, you, do you see what I mean? Like, okay, in regards to sole responsibility, yeah, I think people should kind of sit down and think and say, okay, well, what is in my control? What are the things that I can do to take control of my health? Mm-hmm. And that isn't shifting the blame completely onto the individual and saying you take control of your health, it's only on you. It's just saying, well, what can you manage? You might not be able to do the 10,000 steps a day, but what can you do? You know, this is where you start doing things like in- interventions with the individual. I want to talk about behavior change a bit here, but it's coming down to the individual and getting over the barriers that are very personal to them. Mm-hmm. Do you see what I mean? But obviously, yeah, we are going to be affected by our surroundings, you know, whether it be our income, the fucking pollution in the air we live in. Are we living in an area that is very predatory when it comes to things like fast food? Because mm. we know a lot of fast food places tend to pop up in places where people are more financially deprived. Basic economics, and they obviously as I said, like, we demand, can talk for ages about all the yeah. factors. <laughs> mm. There's so many. Um, what we'll do then before we uh, we turn this into a sub episode itself yeah. is. We obviously know what it's defined as, okay? So we've spoke about men, uh, metabolically healthy obesity. Obes- I can't say it now. Metabolically healthy obesity. Mahu. 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 We're speaking about Mahu. Okay, right. So obviously we said there's limitations with how you define it, but we have spoke about what it's defined as essentially. But does it mean anything? What, what does it actually mean to be there? So we've got yeah. another paper here. Um, this was called, this links actually to our old episode, Fitness versus Fatness on All-Cause yeah. Mortality, a meta-analysis. Now, I'll link it down below, but it is behind a paywall. But obviously me and Tom have bypassed that paywall because we are fucking, mm. if we go back to an old term we used to use, the Minecraft library. <laughs> the Minecraft library. The Minecraft library, the secret library. Of Pirates of the internet. <clears throat> Pirates of the internet, yeah. Um, so basically... <clears throat> this paper explored how people with obesity can be classed as healthy. Why are they healthy? But you know, if they're obese, surely they can't be healthy. <coughs> Excuse me. So I'll read out this little extract, basically. To, um, I'll just, yeah, I'll just read out. Um, so compared to normal weight fit individuals, unfit individuals had twice the risk of mortality regardless of BMI. <clears throat> Fucking hell, man. That's all right. Get that, get that sponsorship in. <clears throat> Fucking hell, I'm dying here. Right. Overweight and obese fit individuals had similar mortality risks as normal weight fit individuals. Furthermore, the obesity paradox may not influence fit individuals. Researchers, clinicians and public health officials should focus on physical activity and fitness-based interventions rather than weight loss driven approaches to reduce mortality risk so essentially what i'm getting from that and if we combine it with our recent conversations on activity guidelines and benefits etc is that regardless of your size doing some form of exercise or activity can have big benefits what we've seen from that paper is that those who are overweight and obese but did activity had similar mortality risk to those who would be classed as normal weight but were fit as well so people were active so both different weights on the bmi but because they were both active 
their mortality risks were, were similar. But the pendulum has swung on very far to the other end in regards to this conversation because there are people out there who actually deny that obesity is even a risk despite Okay, sure, fitness. yeah, got you. Mm-hmm. You see what I mean? And I don't think that's what we're, we're saying at all. Like, obesity is still a risk factor, regardless of whether you are, you know, physically fit. It is still always going to be a... Obesity will have its own independent risk, mm-hmm. you know, to health. Yeah. But at the same time, it is good to know that you can still improve your health through physical activity and, and nutrition as well. Yeah. And for nutrition. So I think... Obviously, that that statement at the end there, which goes, if you said about the pendulum swinging the other way, this is t- typical cherry-picking material here. I could see Canva being loaded up now. Basically saying that they should focus on physical activity and fitness-based interventions rather than weight-loss-driven approaches to reduce mortality risk. Basically saying that, you know, it doesn't matter what weight you are, forget the scales, fuck that off, just do exercise and you'll be grand. That is a typical line that could be used to enforce what you just said there about saying that obesity yeah. isn't a problem. We're not saying that. All I was trying to do was be more positive of it, saying, look, don't think because you're obese, you, your whole, whole hope is lost. Activity, exercise. We spoke for like we spoke about this for like the last few weeks now. The importance of it. And we really are hitting this home now. Is that look? It doesn't matter what size you are. Doing something is going to improve those markers. All right. It's obviously yeah. a multimodal approach there, but yeah. Um, if we if we rewind a bit though, let's actually talk about this term obesity because I can imagine when this gets brought up. When I, I uh, to be fair, when the one I said the term healthy obesity right at the very start of the podcast, I can imagine you're going healthy obesity. How can that be a thing? You can't be obese and healthy at the same time because if someone says the word obese, people's brains normally automatically go to that is an unhealthy individual. That person is not healthy. That person is in a bad way. And as you said earlier, I think people's minds straight away go to morbidly morbidly obese. obese yeah, they they forget there's two. You know, there's the more serious type and then obese, which is obviously not yeah. as dramatic um so you probably don't remember the third ever episode of the podcast i mean if you do fucking hell fair play to you appreciate no, it I get don't. in touch yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's fucking good couple of years ago don't you? um but basically we did start by mentioning two types of fat to give you sort of an idea of how that works so we had subcutaneous and visceral and just quickly recap on that subcutaneous would be the fat on the outside so if you look to someone and they had like lots of fat around you know the limbs around the midline that would be what you'd call your subcutaneous fat okay if you then look at visceral fat which is sometimes called the more dangerous of the fat this is your internal fat this is the one that wraps around your organs basically so if you have excess of this obviously there's an issue there if your organs are surrounded by lots and lots of visceral fat basically the subcutaneous is like a your padding (laughs) padding. what kind of gives you your padding whereas visceral fat as you said around the organs it's also what tends to manipulate the functions of the organs in a detrimental way so if you have large amounts of subcutaneous fat you might be perceived as unhealthy okay now you could say maybe it's approaching a weight neutral approach i don't know but when people use that term unhealthy (laughs) and they say oh okay they've got lots of subcutaneous fat that person's unhealthy the question I straight away go to is how are we defining health? Yeah. Because we've mentioned numerous times in the podcast, what is health? Is it just the size of you? Is it just your levels of subcutaneous fat? Is that what defines you as healthy or not healthy? There's multiple different areas of health. I mean, last last time last time out, we spoke to Danny about mental well-being. Yeah. That is a part of health. Okay. You might have no subcutaneous fat, be absolutely shredded, but you might have you might have a men- you might be mentally uh, your mental wellness could be at an all-time low. So c- technically, are you then healthy? You could be super strong. You could be re- you could have loads of subcutaneous fat, but you could be a world record lifter, power lifter. Mm. Are you unhealthy? You've got a world record in lifting lifting weight, but are you unhealthy? So basically, what I'm trying to say is is that how are we defining health? So you, you, I think you have to be careful of how you use the term. Obviously, understand that at basic level, most people will yeah. understand what you mean when they say, oh, that person's got a lot of fat there, they must be unhealthy. But just think, how are you defining health when you say that term? And this is where it gets a bit tricky because I want to say, you know, like I've the definition of health I currently use is uh, the one that was proposed by Hubert Rattel, which was a paper not so long ago. I think not, we spoke about it, didn't we? I'm saying not so long ago because I can't fucking remember the date in my head. So I'm just going to say not so long ago. Uh, it was in the past 500 years. Um, <laughs> and they basically defined, they said it should be redefined because it's not mm. the current definition, but they asked it to be redefined as basically the ability to self-adapt uh, and self-manage. Yes. You know, mm. but 
And this is where it gets a bit weird because obviously I was talking a bit of shit about it earlier. We're talking about metabolic health, mm. you know. Different. So when we talk about uh, obesity, it's more in the terms of like it, the, the metabolic health outcomes. And that, as we said earlier, there are some criteria for it. Yes, it's a bit hazy when it comes to, well, what classifies as metabolic healthy obesity? Oh, I'd say it right, Bill, because it's got to have at least three of the of the matching criteria. But yeah, we can actually say, okay, well, in this instance, we're talking about health in the definition of your HDL, your I, I waist circumference. I think that's yeah. important to know. If, if we do rewind to the first paper we looked at, this is obviously looking at metabolic health. Okay, that's obviously a very specific type of health, but... So that's got very... I, definitive criteria okay but when people throw around the word healthy and unhealthy that's normally very generalized isn't it yes so that's when it becomes yeah. a bit more if i mean if someone said to you oh that person's got lots of subcutaneous fat they might be metabolically unhealthy i mean that w- i don't imagine someone would say that yeah <laughs> but <laughs> so health is very broad when we talk yeah. about health it's a very broad thing to say but when we talk about well metabolic health okay that narrows it right down do you know what i mean i mean that leads us kind of back to that question that we unpacked in episode three of the podcast way back in uh, 2020 would you rather be fat but fit or slim and sedentary and i think i mean i'm not going to say go back and listen to that because i don't know how even uh, <laughs> that was probably <laughs> we're very new in our podcasting journeys <laughs> been interested listen, and opinions but, uh, may have changed or been re- redefined yeah, be. since then but essentially i think we'd echo what we said in that podcast and that we i think we all agreed rather be fat but fit we were basically saying that we'd rather be a bit active um we i think we mentioned sumos in that podcast do you remember the whole conversation about sumo wrestlers yes because obviously yes, i do they're all enormous but you could class them as fit because they're athletes but this is another thing that is now we've got to try and differentiate the difference between well fit as in performance mm. or fit as in well you're health <laughs> including yeah, your yeah, metabolic health mm-hmm. do you yeah. see it gets a bit tricky yeah um i mean this is where the obesity paradox uh, gets mentioned a fair bit is when it comes to sumo wrestlers mm-hmm. you know um i think way back we might have actually looked at a paper on sumo wrestlers in regards to metabolically healthy obesity i have since seen something more recent in regards to adolescent sumo wrestlers and it did still show that you know like there is still an increase in, sorry, there's still like a a decrease in things like HDL, which is something you, you actually want to have a fair amount of. You want to have high density lipoproteins. You don't want to have low HDL. But once again, because that's only one thing in regards to the criteria of what classes have well been metabolically, healthily, oh, I can't fucking say it. You know what I'm trying to say. Technically, they they they're still they're still being classed as healthy. Just only one rather than three of what matches the criteria. Okay, sure. Yeah. But it's still something to note. That it's like, okay, they have still got, you know, very low HDL. You know, despite being technically physically fit in regards to their performance because of the sport they do, but still having that high waist circumference. Yeah. Technically, that's two because that is part of the criteria. Depending on fucking what institute you ask. It is an interesting one, isn't it? I, I think if we just if we look at the weight of it in terms of activity, you would rather, I think from, I'm trying to think of how to term, term this, basically being fat but fit would imply obviously you're, you're, you'd be classed as overweight or above on the BMI scale. Let's say yeah. for a argument's sake, you'd be classed as overweight or above, but you, you, you hit the minimum and above of the recommended activity guidelines. Yeah, I would rather be in that category simply because of the benefits that come with all of that put together morbidly obese i'm not saying that's different obviously i'm i'll put that to a side we'll say up to obese so overweight or obese but i'm doing the minimum and above of the activity guidelines or you're slim on the outside but you don't do anything you do nothing at all and just because you're slim i mean obviously you lower your risks of other things associated with that but if you're sedentary there's so many other risks that come into play there so, I think there's just so much more that comes about because you're the reason you're slim. If you're slim and you don't do any activity, that means you're just basically not eating a lot. Unless makes, there's another health issue going on, but yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We're talking yeah. general here, guys. Yeah, please don't. If you've got like, yeah. if you're, specific examples, obviously a bit different. Um, yeah, but yeah, and then that goes that links onto a couple of weeks ago, Tom. We spoke about six pack abs. Yeah. If you're if you have six pack but you're sedentary, are you healthy? Would you be classed as physically healthy? I mean, even going back to when we spoke about, you know, what you can actually get out of the physical, you know, the World Health Organization's physical guidelines if you actually adhere to them. We know that, you know, as, as soon as you pick up some form of like um, cardiovascular training, aerobic training, sorry, and strength training, 
there's there's big health improvements. There's big health improvements despite your size. I mean, there's papers out there that do show, you know, like irrespective of, uh, sorry, regardless of weight loss, you can improve your health by picking up physical activity and also changing your nutrition, you know, by eating more fiber, you know, more vegetables, uh, reducing things like your saturated fat intake as well, you know, lean protein, you know, you, you just regardless of weight loss, you can make health improvements. And this is where I think it is important that we there is a place where we can promote a weight neutral approach to health. So what I mean by that is okay, let me let's look at another point of view. In regards to the fitness industry and a lot of personal trainers, exercise and nutrition is usually just a means to an end to get you to lose weight. So they might not actually look at the the actual health promoting benefits you get from exercise by itself, regardless of whether you're going to lose weight from it or not. But actually, yeah, as I said earlier on, I just repeat it, like regardless of whether you lose weight or not, you're still going to get big health benefits from exercising and eating a more nutritious based diet. And the thing is like um, intentional weight loss can be very, very difficult. It can be very difficult. I'm not saying, by the way, that weight loss may not be health promoting. It may and it may not depend on the circumstances here. As I know, we spoke about health in regards to mental well-being as well, right? We know eating disorders are thin. We know obsession is a thin. You know, we know depression is a thin. And just telling those people, right, we need to drastically cut your calories is not going to fucking be a good idea. This is where like a weight neutral approach might be more beneficial to that person's health, not just mentally, but metabolically as well. Because, okay, we're now pushing aside, you know, weight loss is no longer the end goal here. It might still occur. It might still occur by accident. It's not going to be a bad thing or a good thing. Uh, well, depending on their circumstances. But, you know, just by promoting exercise, promoting physical activity, promoting vegetables, limiting saturated fat, etc., all these things are going to be health-promoting despite whether the scales go up or down. If we do talk about those guidelines, if you've not been up to date at the podcast, we did spend a couple of weeks where we looked at, we basically discussed how they were not being adhered to very well. And then following that, we spoke about the benefits that come with it. Yeah. There was actually a massive paper which looked at, do they work? Because they people wanted to establish, okay, you're telling us to do this activity. Does it even work? And we found that, yes, it does work. There's probably a dose-response relationship. So if you do more than the recommended or the minimum, you're going to see more benefit. So... I think it's a good approach to have. Essentially, if we rewind again to a lot of rewinding today, like a fucking yeah. VHS VHS player here. Um, <laughs> if we go back to that term, let me just make sure I've said this right. Let's see if we can get this fucking finish on a bang here. Metabolically healthy obesity. Don't judge a book by its cover when it comes to things like health. Yeah. Okay. There could be, as you said, health is quite broad. Even with metabolic health, we make it more specific. If you are someone who is, um, of a healthy a normal weight i should say but you don't do any activity you could actually be less metabolically fit than someone who is overweight or obese but who's active if we go back to that meta analysis we spoke about uh, a little while ago just to quickly uh add another thing to what i was saying before as well because i was talking about willpower etc at one point like what you might find is when it comes to you know intentional weight loss it can require a lot of willpower a lot of willpower and it can also lead to things like you know the binge restrict cycle there's also something called the weight loss futile cycle as well um whereas picking up physical activity you know exercise it may be more motivating i don't know many people at least in the general public that say oh yeah i enjoy eating less I mean, some people might. I have actually spoken to people that have actually said to me, actually, I've enjoyed the process to them. Fair enough. But what you might find is that you might find there's the path of least resistance, ironically, is to get people resistance training and doing some form of aerobic training rather than just saying, okay, we need to fucking make you eat less here. And as I said earlier as well, what you might find is you might actually lower your waist circumference anyway by picking up these new habits. So rather than actually having that, avoidance-based approach where it's like okay we need you to now avoid eating this much food you know actually we can now make an approach-based goal it's like okay instead what we could do is we're going to get you to find an activity you really bloody like fuck me it could be i don't know extreme canoeing who knows what you do find some as well is that i i I do like using this approach myself is that if you do get someone to start resistance training when their goal is weight loss 
instead of, as you said, making them avoid eating all food, by getting to do some sort of training in the gym, they find that their body composition will start to change. Yeah. And that, that gives you that aesthetic, of, uh, the aesthetic of, oh, there's something happening here, improvements yeah. are being made. I'm looking, I'm looking more, be- I'm looking better as what they would class as better um, because I'm doing activity. You're building muscles you, you, you weren't working before. So that could see, be, that could actually give, give you that boost give you that more of a boost instead of trying to cut out all your food basically and when we go back to our previous episode where we did speak about the effects that the physical guidelines actually do have on people they did find like bearing in mind they were just physically following the physical guidelines right there was no dietary intervention so it wasn't even considering weight they did find that just simply by following the physical guidelines their waist circumference for both men and women did drop anyway without them actually intentionally meaning that but um, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think the takeaway from this is that, like, can weight loss have, um, in a sense, of mel- metabolic health? Can it be uh, have health promoting effects? Yes, I think it can. You know, to stay within a certain weight range. Um, I do know that there are people that d- deny that. I would disagree with them. I do think that weight loss can promote health. However, physical activity can also promote health, and I don't think it has to be like a, a mutually exclusive thing. And this is the problem you get with a lot of like the gym bros versus like the health at every size crowds. Do you know what I mean? Is that it's almost like a war, like, no, no, one is the right way. They don't have to be mutually exclusive, not inherently at least. Okay, for one person, one might be more better than the other. You know, if you do have someone who wants to improve their health, but you know that they have issues with, you know, their weight in regards to like they're scared to step on the scales, you know, they're obsessed with their weight. Okay, it's probably best to move them away from that side of thinking and just focus on the physical activity. But at the same time, if you have got someone that, you know, where there's an instance where their doctor does actually need to put them on some form of like, you know, semaglutide or liraglutide, but they're putting them on that because weight is the issue. There is a sudden health concern where weight loss does need to happen. Okay, it would still be good to get them doing some physical activity, but at the same time, they do need to lose weight. Do you know what I mean? At the same time, you might get someone that might want to do a bit, do both. And I don't... Too many people are putting moral competencies on wanting to lose weight. I don't think that's helping anyone. I I don't think it benefits the conversation at all. But at the same time, it is nice to know that you can have health-promoting benefits just simply by increasing your physical activity despite weight loss. Of course, guys, if you need help with physical activity, I'd highly recommend checking out that last podcast we did where we where the I think it was do the activity guidelines even work in the title. I think it was the Fitness News 16. We do actually break down something called METS, which is what does that stand for? Metabolic equivalent. Yeah, that's it. Metabolic equivalence. essentially that was we broke down different exercises showing you how easy it is. Well, I wouldn't say easy because it's very subjective for you as an individual, but say saying how how to hit the minimum requirements and we gave you with there's a link there as well for the METS table so it'll show you different activities what you can do find something you enjoy that you can get in a week um, and basically help you get active and meet those guidelines so go listen to that check out the links for that as well um, or of course you can directly get in touch with us if you really want to and That's also just to add to that as well the physical guidelines do include aerobic training because I know I, did, I took a big shit on PTs earlier but something that I've started to see creeping up again particularly in the place I work is some personal trainers are saying oh you know you don't need to be doing cardio to get your goals resistance training is much better once again oh, really it's not a mutually exclusive thing you know the guidelines clearly state aerobic training as well as resistance training mm. it's one thing if you don't want to do some form of aerobic training with your client because you know, you're, you're most into resistance training, that's fine. But to actively discourage people from doing it because, oh, resistance, this this guy on Instagram says that, you know, resistance training is more effective for fat loss. Um, yeah, fuck you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do your aerobic training as well. Yeah. Do both. And on that bombshell, that is all the news this week, guys. Hope you've enjoyed us being back. And there wasn't too many tears shed, as I alluded to in that Instagram video. That reminds you, actually, if you do want updates... And you want because I do normally do a video update if there is anything to update you on about. Make sure you are following our podcast Instagram because that is where pretty much every update goes to. Okay. Or if you don't have Instagram and you want to do a paid version, obviously Patreon also is an update, <laughs> an update portal. But obviously that's um you know an exclusive membership to the society. But Instagram is where we do most of our updates. So 
give us a follow on there and anytime anything happens you'll be the first to know okay that's links down in the show notes but it is at chat shit get fit podcast and shit is not spelt like it is in the title of the podcast it is actually spelt like shit because you're not mm. allowed to have stars star symbols in instagram handles apparently so yeah, i've gone fully explicit it's weird isn't it yeah they just let me say shit instead that's big insta <laughs> big insta yeah big insta big swearing yeah <laughs> <laughs> big set right um before we do chin out there guys uh, just got a quick one for you are you subscribed to the podcast have you clicked the button uh, me not you. we do this again we do this again we did this last time no not you tom <laughs> shut the fuck up <laughs> right so i'm confused yeah he's so confused right <clears throat> i'm talking to the audience now i mean we are technically talking to the audience the entire time but this time i'm directly talking to the audience so are you subscribed to the podcast have you clicked that button the follow or subscribe button because basically what i'm trying to say is do you know how much power you hold right now because if you click that button that subscribe button that follow button on your app you tell the app that this is a podcast worth coming back to and what they do is they then go oh someone else might like this podcast and they show them instead but if you don't click that button and you have listened what you're telling the app is it was all right but it's not worth coming back to i don't really want to go listen to this again so then they won't bother showing anymore wouldn't people. blame them but yeah, yeah. Oh, fuck's sake, Tom. Basically, what I'm saying is, if you don't click it, you're killing the podcast. See you next week. Oh, that was good. That yeah, yeah. See you next week. Murderers. <laughs> no, I, I, I led it properly because that was quite that was quite serious, wasn't it? Um, but yeah, do that. Click that button right now. Um, as I said last time, if you are driving, maybe not now. Safety first. And you know what? I'll 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 play both sides of the game here. You know, if you don't subscribe, then that means you're you're letting you know the Daily Mail slash communists win. Can't be having that, can we? No. See what I did there? Played both sides of the fence. I like it. Very good. We are a dynamic podcast. Anyway, it has been a pleasure as always, and we will see you next week. Hopefully. <laughs> same time, <laughs> same place for some more of the fitness news. See you soon. Bye. Bye.